U.S. is pretty far along, though. It's it's not like we're behind Europe. There, that's where we see a lot of potential is in the U.S. It's a very the most competitive market in the world. It's the most mature as far as its infrastructure, you know, on the grid, the ISOs, the uh, the transparency and pricing, uh, much for, much more than what Europe is in a lot of respects. So uh, the U.S. Is, can hold its own very well. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined as always by the one, the only, the president founder of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer. And Mike, 2021 is off to a blazing start so far. And uh, I think you can say the same about the Green Insider Podcast, as we've had some great guests so far this year. And uh, the guests we have today that we're very, very excited about, Mr. Ken Robinson, does not disappoint as well. No, Ken does not disappoint. You know, Ken and I go back a long time. We've been in the industry together quite a few years, and uh, we've known each other for probably 10-plus years. And uh, I'm really excited for our guest here, Ken, who's the president of Energy Energy Services. And I believe you're going to enjoy everything he has to say about everything going on at NG and what he believes the market forecast looks like in regards to renewable energy. Absolutely. No, and we're, uh, we're excited about what, what uh, Ken's bringing to the show. And again, just came back to the States from last year, and we talked a little bit with him about kind of the differences and how renewables are received over in the U.S. versus uh, over in Europe. And, and I'll tell you what, his answer might surprise some people. It really might, because uh, I know it certainly did me with some of the insight that he has from being over in Europe, because we've, we've heard for a while now, Mike, about uh, Europe and how they, how they handle renewables, and they've been on the renewable side for a while now, at least a little more from a mainstream standpoint than here in the United States. But uh, no, some very great insight from Ken and, of course, some of the great stuff they're doing over at NG. So but before we get to Ken, listen, we've got some a couple of things we like to do here on the Green Insider podcast. We'll get to the name of news minute here in just a second. Great stuff from Steve and Donna, as they do uh, every other week here on the program. But before we do that, Mike, let's tell the folks at home they know about the Green Insider podcast. They know they can go f- uh, follow us over there on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever they get their podcast. But. Why don't you tell the folks at home about eRenewable? Thank you, Fred. As always, you know, eRenewable was founded to bring the PPA and VPPA auctions to the marketplace, trying to bring energy efficiency to that process. Along with that, we're working with my, on microgrid projects, renewable natural gas, unbundled RECs, energy efficiency uh, LED lighting, and energy master plans. And so uh, if any of those needs are something you're in the market for, please give us a call at one eight six six eRenew one or simply email me at mike at erenew.net. So with that, Fred, I'll throw it back to you. Thank you so much for that, Mike. And like I said, the folks at home, go check out eRenewable, erenew.net. That's erenew.net. And uh, we encourage you all to give us a follow over on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at erenew2020. That's at erenew2020. And then, of course, you can follow Mike and I on Twitter as well, at Mike underscore Nemer. That's at Mike underscore N-E-M-E-R. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter, at the Freddie D, at the Freddie D. So without further ado, another edition of the NEMA News Minute. Here is Executive Director of NEMA, Steve Shepard. Good morning, Fred. This is Steve Shepard, NEMA's Executive Director. We appreciate the opportunity to provide another NEMA update to the Green Insiders listeners. First, news on our ongoing virtual presentation series. 
On January 27th, NAMA presented its second webinar of 2021, Forward-Looking, Problem-Solving, New Market Deal-Making by Travis Wright, Vice President of Energy and Sustainability with QTS Data Centers, and Sturgis Sobin, Vice President Global Commodities with Citi. Travis and Sturgis discussed cutting-edge power transaction structures QTS and Citi have executed to supply QTS data centers, followed by a very lively Q&A session. Once again, we had a robust number of participants. Our next presentation promises to be equally compelling. The presentation will be a panel discussion addressing the challenge and opportunity of decarbonization on February 10th at 3 o'clock Eastern. Panel participants will include Chris Knittel from MIT, Nicole Boucher from NISO, and Tara Fowler from Excel Energy. Brady Stepp, who is a member of NAMA's Board of Directors, will be the moderator. I'm sure the panel discussion will be lively and informative. That is followed up on February 24th with a presentation on the energy storage value proposition by Mike Herman and Ron Kikana and others from Bright Night Energy, a relatively new NAMA member. Storage is a particularly hot topic nowadays, so I'm sure this will be an outstanding presentation. On the conference front, we continue to work on arrangements for the 2021 Spring Conference that will be hosted by Uniper April 27th through 29th at the Hyatt Regency Lost Pines in Austin. We'll provide an update with further details on the next NAMA News Minute. We don't have any new NAMA member RFPs to report on this week, but there are still a number of RFPs with proposal due dates in February. Refer to NAMA's website for additional details. That's it for now. We look forward to giving you another update in a couple weeks. Thanks, Fred. Thank you so much again for that, Steve. And, of course, you guys can get all the information about NAMA over at NAMA.com. That's N-A-E-M-A.com. That's N-A-E-M-A.com. All right. So, Mike, it is that time with Mr. Ken Robinson. Again, the renewable push here in the U.S. as well as his insights on the energy transition. Let's welcome to the program the president of NG Energy Marketing for North America, Mr. Ken Robinson. That's why we use the term energy transition, because it's not going to happen overnight. It's a transition. Okay. Whether it's fossil fuels, uh, moving for even natural gas is something that, you know, they think they're going to move away from and go to maybe more of a hydrogen, but it's, it's a transition. And, you, you know, you continue to move down a path where you're reducing your greenhouse gases, your carbon footprint, but you really, I don't know how many years it's going to take, but it's not something that you can do overnight. That's why it's a, it's a transition. And we, we, we're, you know, we move at the pace that the industry and, and government and the world will allow you to. And it's just, it's, that's what, that's the way I look at it. It's not doing away with anything. It's, it's, it's an orderly transition, hopefully orderly being the key word. Absolutely. No. The gist I got, and from some of the folks that Mike and I have had on the show, is that battery storage kind of is that next major domino to fall uh, in the it, renewable it, energy sector. It it definitely is. I mean, it, it really comes down to the technology and, and how efficient these uh, batteries are becoming. I mean, five years ago, maybe a little longer, nobody even thought they would even have a chance of being economical. Now they do. It, and it, it's just a matter of where you place them, how you use them, um, whether it's, you know, if you, if you discharge them in the market, um, you know, you, you're going to get some value, but you can't see it on the forward curve. It's like, it's like guest storage. 
Um, you really don't know how much money you're going to make on gas storage until you start to see real time where prices are at. And um, you may not use your storage because prices are on a level where it makes sense to um, pull gas out of storage. And that's the same thing with power. Power, or, I'm sorry, batteries. Um, you don't know what prices between hours are going to be for you to be able to charge and discharge. And batteries typically, you know, depending on the size, but their, their amount of hours, like one, two, three hours, you may need 12 hours, you know, during the, during the day that you're going to need them. And so that's why people still believe that the um, super peaker um, type CCGTs are the ones that are going to help, you know, are still needed, but batteries continue to increase. And you've got uh, what's going on with uh, Tesla, you know, on grid scale batteries and people are improving the technology. And, and it, again, it's just um, an evolution over time that, um, you know, that they'll, they'll do what's intended. Um, but right now there's still, you know, depending on the, the, the part of the country you're in, the economics uh, don't always work on a standalone as well as they do with uh, in combination with the um, energy, meaning the uh, wind or solar. Um, so that, that's kind of the, been the discussion around it. Um, can you put it on a grid and use it economically? It's, 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 again, it's like gas storage. You don't really know until you get in the market. And I think, you know, there's been some discussion around, um, you know, investment tax credit type support that would help them to be more economical. People will now invest in them you, more. Now, let me ask you, these people, the uh, battery storage owners that own the facility, just like with natural gas storage or crude tank storage or refined fuel storage, do they lease that unit for people to use it if they need it? So they have they could, they could. You know, we, we've talked to a few firms that are willing to lease it to us, um, much like they'd lease a gas storage, and you're just using their asset um, to um, charge and discharge right. on the grid. Uh, you could do it on standalone, or you can do it as part of um, an asset that you already own that's a, like a wind or solar farm. But yeah, that, that, that market's there. We've talked to some companies who do that. Now, how long wow. have you guys been in North America? We go back under different names. Mm -hmm. You know, we probably go back 20 years all the way to from NG. Then we were GDS Suez and then we were Tractabelle. I may not even be going far enough back, to be honest. We've got a, a long term relationship in the U.S. And um, we, we used to own a bunch of power plants. We sold them off okay. gas fired plants about four years ago. Uh, our focus is now on the renewable power, wind and solar. Um, and you saw that that kind of transition, not just in the U.S., but in other parts of uh, the world where they're moving away from uh, natural gas fire as well as coal. Coal were almost completely sold. Um, and so it's, it's, it's that, again, in that transition as we, we become less uh, you know, focused on, on, on natural gas as a sole use of, of uh, generating power, we're, we're, we're moving more towards the renewable in, in size and scope. You spent four years over in uh, Europe before coming back to the United States last year, or give or, around that time? Or give or yeah, take. I spent five years, just about five years. So from a renewable standpoint over in Europe, what, we know that they're obviously you know, got a head start on us uh, as far as just their intensity and their focus and making sure that they implement it uh, on a much grander scale. And, of course, you know, United States is, is, is obviously full throw in it now. Um, what did you learn from the renewable side of things that maybe you didn't know or um, you know, just essentially kind of just how it was embraced over in Europe and the way they were going about their daily lives with renewable energy versus what you'd experienced over here? You know that the, they're um, 
you know, and living over there, there's a much bigger emphasis on green around renewables, not just renewables. And so they, they've been at it, especially in Germany, really where they started. It's that the technology started to become old in Germany, but they've, they've really been pushing that in all, in all countries, not all countries, mainly Western Europe, uh, but even Eastern Europe, um, Poland is becoming bigger, um, Romania to an extent. But I, I learned, you know, just, you know, they're in the market is different. Their subsidies are different. Um, I spent a lot of time working with our team and how we grow and develop in, in countries like Spain, well, all, all of Western Europe, to make sure it's economical because, you know, you get to a point where you got a subsidized, subsidized market moving to an unsubsidized free market, and you got to work through um, doing long-term deals, 10, 12-year deals. U.S. is not U.S. is pretty far along, though. It's it's not like we're behind Europe. They're, you know, that's where we see a lot of potential is in the U.S. It's a very it's the most competitive market in the world. It's the most mature as far as its infrastructure, you know, on the grid, the ISOs, the um, the transparency and pricing, uh, much for, much more than what Europe is in a lot of respects. So uh, the U.S. is is can hold its own very well. Um, and it's, it seems to be, I, I, I don't know what the actual statistics are, but it's, you know, as last year we put two thirds of our onboarding of a renewal in the U S so it's, um, across all of Engie. So, um, well, that's good. Uh, I know before you became president of NG energy marketing over here in North America, your, most of your C-level career was as a chief risk officer. Yeah. So in that role. Was it significantly different being a risk officer or brown power or old fat, old refined fuels kind of power out of the ground as opposed to the green when you went over to Europe and you had to manage that risk? Of the I mean, we did both, if you want to call it brown or, and green, and we did both. It, you know, um, you know, we were equal, we, you know, NG in, in Europe is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, when it comes to power, and it's, it's in all aspects. Uh, thermal, nuclear, wind, solar. Um, my role wasn't much different, other than the the renewable area is a is an emerging market um, all over the world, and you've got to make changes. Uh, you know, in thinking about how you supply your power to end use customers, the way you contract it, the tenors. Um, it's it's you know it's at one time it was priced much higher than than traditional conventional power and and uh so it's just an evolving market that you had to get used to and in my role it was you know whether it doesn't matter what it is you know you look at the risk of the regulatory environment you look at market risk meaning around the pricing and the exposure you have and credit so it's it's not really that much different but i spent a lot of time um focused on how we grow the business commercially in a way that meets our, our risk appetite, our risk rewards. So, it, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter where I was at or, or what kind of power or, or commodity. Um, it's, it's really the same when you think about the risk reward and your appetite around it. And you, you start out in an, if you're an involving market, you start out um, small. You don't try to just grow it and just say, jump right into it. You start out and you test it. And we did that. And, and then we'd increase our appetite and change over time. And so, um, you know, half my time, if not more, was spent on commercial type, um, you know, growing, developing. Um, I was on the investment committee uh, as, a, as a leader. I was highly involved in trading. 
and and uh, it come to a point where they you know you weren't just given respect to, you know because you're a risk officer that you get to have a say you know I, when I came in I said we got to have a, a seat at the table we you know we got to have an impact on these decisions and over time we earned that respect to have a seat at the table and um, it helped me um, in my in my current role because I'm spending you know, again half my time on commercial oriented. Uh, type initiatives. And it's really the same thing I'm doing now. When you think about it in a commercial or business role, it's really, you know, thinking about risk reward. How do we um, protect ourselves against downside, but how do we find upside? Um, but it's, it's when our, within our appetite, how do we grow our business? How do we adapt to markets? Uh, so it's really, you know, it prepared me and I was fortunate that there's the right tone at the top from our management that, um, you know, allowed me to, to support a business uh, in a way where I could be highly involved commercially. And, you know, my focus was about being commercial enabling, balanced with the risk control, making sure we don't get out of control, but at the same time we're growing. And it wasn't just a focus on limits and trying to control, but it's also about growing in a disciplined way, also from a compliance standpoint. So it, it prepared me for what I'm doing. The other anchor is probably leadership. Um, if you're a leader, a good leader, you can probably do a lot of things with. Uh, and so the leadership aspect also to, you know, to be able to, to uh, motivate, inspire, you know, create passion, get the most out of people. Um, you know, that, that's the other part that's, that's important. How do you evaluate risk when you're in an evolving market? And, and what's kind of the, you know, what goes into that? And, and what are some of the, difficulties in doing so well in, in liquid markets it's not too terribly difficult because you've got transparency on on price you understand you know what's your risk um it really depends on what you're looking at but let's just focus if we're on renewables right you've got you've got the regulatory environment which could be changing is changing um you got project risk sometimes so you've got these, let's say, non-traditional risks that you've got to think about taxes. You know, what's what's going on with that? Um, I think the regulatory environment is one of the most important, how it could change. And what you think is good right now could change later. And then you've got, um, you know, the traditional market credit, uh, KYC, compliance. Um, and so we look at all those as well as cash flow is a big, obviously, um, a lot of companies get in trouble with liquidity. You know, they may have all the market and credit appetite they want, but uh, paying your bills and being able to margin is important. Credit's obviously important, but there's that balance between cash flow, credit, and market risk. And in in that um, in that realm is is again the the more long term uh, strategic risks like regulatory uh, that you've got to think about. And so we'll 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 use the model called uh, EVA, economic value added, and we'll, we'll basically assess. A, a risk capital across all of these different uh, risk factors and say, okay, are we, are we earning a reward that's beyond our risk capital? And if we're not earning it, do we need to raise the price that we're, 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 we're getting, or do we need to mitigate the uh, risk through, through controls or, or hedges? Uh, and that's really just a balance I was talking about where you've got to balance risk and reward. And if your reward is sufficient for the risk, you're good. If it's not, then you have to look at both sides. And figure out, you know, within your appetite, some companies are more, um, they're more open to taking risk and others are, are less. And so it's finding that right, you know, what you've got to understand what your appetite is for your company and 
that's obviously tested through governance and committees and other means to, to determine what risk appetite they have. And once you know that, you can start to, to draw out what you think um, is the appropriate reward and risk. And then we look at, again, we look at long-term projects, short-term, look at trading, origination. Um, you know, they all have different kind of risk perspectives, but that's really the, the nucleus of it is risk reward uh, and how you manage both those. And I got to believe that right now the reward has got to be a lot greater now than it was five, six years ago when, when, when you uh, dove into this. Um, well, you know what they say about reward, the more risk, the more reward. <laughs> you don't want high <laughs> risk and low reward. It, it really depends. Um, you know, in certain parts of Europe, um, you know, there's a low margin. You're taking on a typically more risk because of the way the markets are evolving. In the U.S., you typically may have higher risk. It's not all everywhere. Um, we, we, we potentially may see a change in the regulatory regime. You got to be thinking about that. Um, you know, you're doing these these just like uh, traditional power plants, you're doing these wind and solar farms out for a long period of time and a lot can change. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have um, a strong penetration in wind or solar where, you know, they, they completely push the price down and uh, removes volatility and it could, it could change your, 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 your price curve going out in the future that you're not going to get as much for your assets. So you got to be thinking about all the developments going on the cannibalism or, or, or penetration that can occur and look at the fundamentals, try to match them up to the, what's uh, assumed in the market pricing. And it's, it's, it's quite challenging. So, you know, but that's what, uh, when, when they're building traditional CCGT power plants and other traditional thermal plants, same thing, you gotta, there's some risks that you're taking on, on, on doing a long-term asset. But if that's the business that you're in and you're good at it, then you evolve with the market as it changes. NG does a lot with wind, does a lot with solar, and we already talked a little bit about battery storage and what you guys are doing there. Um, are those your three primary focuses on the renewable side? Um, for power, it is. Um, I, I think one of the other focuses that we've been, um, that I've been, let's say, focused on here recently is um, what we call responsibly sourced gas or low methane, low carbon natural gas. Um, and the reason for that is we're, we're, we're highly involved, um, like most companies in natural gas also. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the energy trans transition. And we've got, uh, there was a concern about shale gas and about the high methane content. And so we've been working with, um, let's say the producer and end users around you coming up with this responsibly sourced gas. That's the term that's labeled most often. And it's not just on methane, it's across air, what they do with water treatment, with their social environmental uh, community impact. Uh, so we, we talked to various firms about their approach around validating, pushing to make sure there's an accountability at the producer level. And uh, we're working with the firm um, called Canary Project. They, they, they have this IES trust wheel around a certification. And I believe that's, that's an area where we'll, we'll start to see a lot more emphasis on trying to come up with a, um, let's say a low methane or, or an RSG type gas that, that'll, that'll move us forward. And I think all this, um, you know, concern about shale gas 
potentially you'll you'll evolve a different market. It's no different than the oil markets that created low sulfur, high sulfur, light, heavy. I mean, it's just a grade differential, and in this case, it's an environmental differential. And I think that's uh, I think that's an emerging area too that we're really focused on on natural gas as part of our energy transition. On the RSG, uh, responsibly sourced gas. So again, we're, we're working on both sides, producers and consumers. And on the producer side, we're working through these pilots to test it out because um, they've been working on their ESG for years. Um, and now it's how do we make it more transparent where it's beyond just a self-validation and we've got a third party coming in. And again, I, I mentioned this um, Project Canary IS Trustwell. There's others also that we've been talking to. And um, we go through these pilots, which is a, a partnership where we can test, um, you know, what they're doing, the different metrics on methane intensity, what they're doing around their, their air and water, um, what they're doing on community, the impact that they may have, you know, traffic and, um, you, know, pot- you know, potential concerns that a community may have on it. And so, and allow us to go through and test all these different criteria to see um, what is most sensible. Uh, and then coming up with standardized metrics, I think, is the key. And as we go forward, we won't have pilots anymore. It'll just be, I think the goal will be to have a market that um, prevails both on the, the supply, meaning the producers and the, um, the end users. End users, um, they're, you know, they're, they're, they've got sustainability goals. They want to be green. Uh, but there's nothing pushing them to do that other than their own companies. And so there's not a regulation, but I think, you know, everybody's interested in it. It's just a about first movers and people getting involved. And I think the pilots will be a good test for us to do that. How long do you see these pilots duration or just a, a test pilot, for instance? Um, well, nor, nor, you know, for one, they normally take about two months okay. um, because you have to set up the equipment. You go through all the criteria. There's interviews. There's on-site visits. So it's not something that happens overnight. Um, I, I'm, you know, the companies that do this are the ones that, that, that probably the best ones that to, to speak about that. But I do know a lot about them because we've invested a lot of time looking at them. Um, it takes a little time. And, you know, these pilots won't go on forever. Eventually, the, the the industry will buy into it and it's become much more automatic and it's proven. The pilots are just set to prove that this is something that works, that people can believe in. Producers can get confidence that it works. Uh, Consumers, end users, municipalities, universities, utilities, they want to see, you know, you know, if they want to know that they're buying truly low methane gas and not just um, gas that's, um, you know, let's say more standard, um, and so it's important for everybody to, to, to understand what's going on and, and transparency around it. And so that's that's our intent. And there's probably uh, another angle is, is, you know, it could be traded as credits on, on the market, organized markets, exchanges, um, you know, where people can get credits for reducing the amount of methane. So there's all sorts of opportunities and there's work underway uh, with firms doing that. Um, but there's a lot that can go on in this market of potential, and so we're, we're we're getting into it. So the skepticism is what that folks just don't don't know that it's as low methane as, as build. I mean, is that kind of the is is that kind well, of the biggest you know, pushback you you're getting, of... or just convincing folks, hey, this is this is what it is. I know what you guys are accustomed to a certain way of doing things, but this is what this product is able to do. 
Well, you, you get a lot of bias and perceptions and you get a lot of news that said, you know, you, you think about one incident and occurred and, um, you know, that potentially could give you the wrong perception. So um, there are these companies, these EMP companies, a lot of them have already been doing this. Uh, they've invested in, in well integrity and electric electric fracking or hydro hydraulics, um, you know, all sorts of things to to manage because they, they understand the ESG. Um, they've got to comply. They've got to get investment. Uh, so, so it's um, it's really more just proving something that's that's working. And maybe there, there's probably an opportunity to to make some changes to uh, to let's say enhance um, and looking at all the criteria. And everybody, you know, methane, the carbon footprint's important, but also there's other aspects around water, uh, air, other air particles to be concerned about, and and again, community and social. It's a big. That's part of the the S and the ESG. So um, it's not just strictly the methane, which is the you know the most harmful to the environment, um, but it's a more well-rounded ESG type focus. This product sounds like it's somewhat a competitor to the renewable natural gas product, where they take waste energy. You see that as a competing product for that space? No, I don't really. I mean, the the the, the issue here is the scale. You know, not just on the RNG, as you mentioned, but, you know, there's there's a lot going on that's not been certified or validated to be this RSG, and you've got to move a lot. So I I don't think there's going to be any competition in that area. So I think two different products completely. It's, it's different product. You can have many products. Uh, yeah. I think it's just another means of uh, reducing the uh, carbon footprint. You know, it's another, another uh, way of doing it through the RNG. Um, RSG is just a, another way where we've got shale is much more prominent, you know, in size. Right. And there's also concerns in other parts of the world about shale. And I think it's just, um, you know, showing that what can be done around that, that it's not, um, you know, because people understand what the, what the actual methane intensity and what's actually occurring. And I think that's the key is the transparency and proving it out um, and showing. And it, it, we, there's been a lot of government metrics, the EPAs involved. I mean, it, you know, it, it's just to um, basically prove out. Um, and then, and, and like I said, also enhancing, potentially enhancing, maybe not everything is where it needs to be. We'll see. Um, but it, that's what these pilots are for, is to, to test on all sides what makes sense. You, you mentioned ESG a few times. How big is ESG in the lexicon now as, as companies are trying to make sure that their rating is where it needs to be? I mean, it's gotten really big. I mean, companies are hiring ESG vice presidents and directors, and they're, you know, these producers, the big producers, even maybe in the midsize, have got someone looking at that because they know that uh, the investment capital that goes goes towards them the financing the potential credit ratings could be um, discounted um, and so they're, they're financially it's very important that they're moving towards an ESG environment because um, you know they get their money from the markets they're through debt and equity and ESG is just um, forefront it's being pushed by consumers um, uh, you know big corporates that are that are focused on on having a you know a cleaner environment so um, everybody's aware it's not not just because it's been talked about in politics. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's aware they've got to have that. Obviously, our company's been doing it for a while, and we're there to help others through this energy transition towards um, carbon neutral environment. But um, I, I can't really speak for the producers, but I see it, and I know that they're 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 looking at it. Um, 
as well as uh, on the consumer side, you know, when you're um, absorbing um, traditional power or, or burning power or you're, you're taking in natural gas, they're looking at it too. It's just, it's, it's just not evolved in our market yet. Um, it's not a fungible commodity, let's say at this point, or a scalable commodity would probably be a better word. And there's probably a premium too, um, you know, because you have invested in doing, um, you know, to reduce the, the carbon footprint as well as the social aspects. So um, potentially there, there's, there, there's, there should be a premium in that market for that. Much like, again, much like you have different grade qualities that have different premiums and discount. I, I don't see it any different. Were you already? I don't know what that premium is because it hasn't involved, but I think you know it's it's most likely something that we'll 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 see. Mandates aside, were you seeing a push to this already before the mandate started, or without these mandates, would, did, were companies still kind of just operating in a bubble or just kind of doing business as usual? No, we're seeing it before. I, I mean, even like in the, I think the U.S. is a good case where um, let's just say maybe some of the rules have been relaxed, but companies are still. They want to live in a greener world. And so they don't need a mandate or a regulation. Some do. Some need to be forced uh, or, or not necessarily forced, but need, you know, to abide Prodded by in that direction. Yeah. Prodded. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the companies um, want, you know, it's strong message to show that they've got sustainable goals. They want to uh, um, have a light impact on the environment, not only what they're doing, um, internally with their own companies, but also in their value chain. Some of these companies are looking at what others are doing that are doing business with them, part of the scope three emissions. Um, and they're, they're you know, making demands on what some of their, their clients are doing and their customers are doing in, in their customer chain or their value chain. So it's, it's um, doesn't necessarily have to be a mandate. It's really what a company's aspirations are, what they want to do. Um, so I don't think, I don't, I don't think you can just focus on just mandates doing it. Mandates typically help push things in a way. Right. But, but, but you uh, were already seeing a push in that general oh, direction. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, whether it's the renewable natural gas, RSG, that you guys uh, are, are, are working with over there at NG. Um, again, we talked about battery storage. What to you is another? I mean, we, and, and hydrogen continues to be a, a player that, as again, we've talked about, economics are, are, as they are with all renewables, dictate a lot what, go, what goes on, right? Because, again, when, it's too, when the cost is too much, but as we've seen technology advance, as we've seen this thing go on, you know, we're starting to see prices drop. Um, is hydrogen kind of that next big factor? Yesterday. We we formed a new business unit. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but it's it's a hydrogen business unit. Um, and so, yes, we believe that that's, um, you know, the next, um, whether it's ready next year or the year after or now, we, we believe that that's, that's, you know, where, you know, technology is moving and it has to be tested through R&D and through pilots and different initiatives. That and, and carbon sequestration, you know, injecting it, um, trying to remove carbon. Um, so those two areas are, you know, certainly on, on the agenda to, to address maybe the technology is not where it needs to be yet. Same thing when we talk about batteries and, and renewables, there's an evolution that occurs and it starts improving all of a sudden, you know, bam, it's there and you've got it. So yeah, that, that's always as um, it, 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 looking forward, that's always an area that we're, we're looking at and uh, to see where it's going to have an impact and when it's going to have an impact. And, You've got to start doing something about it, even though you believe it's not potentially not completely ready, but you've got to start going after it 
because that's yeah i think that's the next uh, frontier have you been on yours have you have you been on the ng energy observer yet i have not and actually didn't get to watch it yesterday um they had a little promo on it no i haven't no 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 invite or anything I got an invite, a virtual invite, and I didn't. I, I had another conflict. Uh, don't be other times, but it was a, more of a virtual. You know, these days in COVID, you, you can't really go out. And I'd like to one day once we can start moving around and, and see it and live it. What did you uh, again? You've been doing this for twenty twenty five. I mean, you've been, you've been a uh, executive now twenty twenty five years. What did you learn most from COVID? You know, I, I learned that we can actually operate working from home. And it works. It's not perfect. It's got its problems with, um, you know, people having to stay at home and not being able to interact with people and some of the issues around, you know, if you're, if you're at home a lot, it, you know, you, you become uh, yeah, maybe potentially a different person. But we have, we're able to work through it um, and, 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 and run a business that's majority is working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really impressive. And, and um, you know, between technology, if technology wasn't um, there where we needed it between the different teams or zoom or whatever technology you're using and being able to work with each other, I think it has its challenges in certain parts of our organization commercially. Uh, you like to have people together to generate ideas and build on each other. But I think certain aspects, um, you know, and whether it be, you know, a risk or a finance or a legal or a settlements, I mean, it, it's almost it's almost seamless and we're fortunate we didn't have any um, real problems in, in doing that this year so I learned that we can do it and it probably be a different different uh, work environment going forward I'm not sure we'll ever go back to what we did but um, obviously we're still trying to live through this and it's not over yet but uh, yeah I, I think um, you know before we had tried work from home one day a week sometimes two and it didn't always work out as well because there's inconsistencies when someone's taken off and trying to do a meeting. And now it's, it's, everybody's together on it. Um, we all get on meetings throughout the day. People are working, people are sharing time with families, obviously ones with kids, it makes it more challenging or elder, you know, whoever they have at home, they're, mm-hmm. they're taken care of. Uh, but it worked. And I was, I was really proud the way we reacted to it. I know we're not the only ones, other companies out there, um, but it, it, it was tested and we moved buildings during last year. We moved um, our, our, our site, our backup site um, during that year. We did a lot of things that, that potentially could have uh, been problematic during that time, but it worked. When you spent uh, that time over in France, was that the first time you'd worked predominantly overseas? No, I spent uh, three years, three and a half years with BP as their global head of um, market risk. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it, so it is part of, that's another reason they, they were interested in me about coming to Ferris because I had a European presence as well as they, they, they like the, uh, the U S experience. So yeah, I have. What's the, um, what's the biggest difference in how we work over here in the United States versus over in Europe? You know, people would be surprised. Um, they will typically go in a little later, but they'll stay later. Really? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. People think that they get a lot, and we do get a lot of holidays. I had nine weeks of holidays, which is nice. Um, <laughs> let, that let's clarify. You did say nine weeks, right? Nine weeks, yeah, nine yeah. weeks. Um, 
I had a tough time taking it all, but I, I traveled around Europe <laughs> and I, I was, I'd, I'd never taken more than um, two weeks off in a row. And my wife asked me to take off like three, almost four weeks. And I, I felt bad. <laughs> I, I was checking my phone. I was like, they're not going to do well without me. But, but people over there work hard. Uh, they'll, they'll, you know, at eight o'clock, I'm like, why are they here till eight o'clock, eight 30, um, go to bed. They, they do eat later. Um, they're not like us where we maybe eat earlier in the evening. They'll eat at eight or nine, uh, but they work hard. They, they, um, they take off, they live life. Yeah. They live for now. We live for the future in yeah. the U S so it's, that's, that's one difference. Um, they're not, they're nice people. People think that, um, they're not as friendly, but they're, you know, they're very friendly. You get in the elevator and bonjour, you know, they're, they're, they're all talking to each other. And, and uh, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get in the elevator over here and nobody speaks. So it, you, 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 you never know it, it there, you know, but there's other parts of France that are probably not as friendly, just like there's other parts of the U S not as friendly. So it's, I think my perspective, you know, opened my eyes that people, you know, for the most part um, are not too different. Um, being an energy, same issues. I, you know, working at, the companies I've worked at in the U.S. and working in with NG, the same challenges and, and um, you know, like IT and other other areas that people have to work with. Um, it's it's really the same things, new markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really not that much different as far as being in an energy field. All right, we'll get you out of here with this. From that side of the, you know, RSG, what else is uh, Ken Robinson and his team up to in 2021? Well, I think last year it was a lot around uh, building, let's say, our potential and capability. And I just see so much more potential. We got to execute um, uh, just like our competitors do. Uh, you know, who, who knows what the um, new administration will do around renewables. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I tell people to be hungry, be creative, be adaptive, be collaborative. Um, and we'll see what the market gives us. The, um you know, it's it was quite challenging market. Let's say last year, from a price standpoint, uh, volatility, different market drivers, demand destruction. You know, I can weather, um, which is weather is normal for every year. You've got that challenge, but um, we want to grow. Um, we want to be one of the leaders in the the uh, power renewable. Um, we want to help with the energy transition. We want to think about uh, emerging activities like we talked about uh hydrogen and carbon uh and there may be other areas environmental type areas that we focus on you guys are full speed ahead you mentioned the administration um and of course again we know that there we we know there's a full push for renewable energy but are you guys kind of in the lurch as to how they want to make it happen and kind of what's kind of the game plan and or what's the roadmap for how they want to implement this this clean energy we transition obviously are engaged and, and interested in an understanding. We have some, you know, let's say um, perceptions on what could happen, like the production tax credits, investment tax credits around the wind and solar and batteries, um, maybe lifting some of the tariffs on the solar panels that are coming, you know, little th- things that, um, well, not little things, but they could be big things. But we don't know at this point. Obviously, they want to spend a lot more money in this area, potentially more on batteries, uh, creating more jobs. Um, that part we're just waiting to hear. I think right now they're, you know, it seems like the focus is a lot more on getting the the uh, people back to work, vaccines, COVID response, um, 
obviously we've seen a lot of executive orders, but um, we're, we're looking, you know, we, we, we watched before the election and we're watching now, we're just trying to see, um, you know, this seems like there'll be a stronger emphasis on the renewable and growing it. Um, and so we're, we're, I guess we're eyes open at this point and we, we've got our ears to the ground on hearing what they're, what they're talking about as far as legislation or potential changes in law or policy. But I, it, we, all we know is it should get better. It should improve in that area. It should grow. We don't know how exactly, but we have, you know, different ideas. Thank you once again to Ken Robinson, president of NG Energy Marketing for North America. Mike, I'll tell you what, the thing that, that probably took me by surprise the most was, I mean, again, we know that Europe got a little bit of a head start, but let Ken tell it. Listen, United States, not far behind. And what's so encouraging and, and why the United States is looked at as such a hot spot is because there is just so much potential and it, there's just so much work to be done on the renewable side here in the United States. Yeah, that's right. You know, Ken's experience in Paris and uh, traveling through Europe for his time over there with NG, he's got a lot of great stories and we can't cover all of them within the 45 minutes of our podcast, but we do appreciate his time today and the, and the topics he covered from energy transition to uh, renewable, sustainable gas to uh, just what's going on with NG in general was much appreciated because we know his time's valuable. We appreciate him spinning it on the Green Insider. Yes, responsibly sourced gas is the uh, is the big product over there at NG that they're uh, they're running the pilots on that he mentioned. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that because again the the potential for the RSG uh, d- definitely very exciting things that are going on over there. And again, it lends to the the mantra that we've shown i think over the last you know almost year now mike is that again renewable energy comes in so many different forms and fashions and again we all know that you know wind and solar are the rock stars of the of this renewable community but again when you've got the hydrogens of the world you got the evs and of course now possibly source gas over at ng again the capabilities and the potential is, is endless it seems like for the renewable side of things so once again episode 22 ken robinson we appreciate everybody for checking it out we had a lot of fun doing it hopefully you guys learned something too from listening to it all right coming up next we'll have uh, episode 23 will be the recap of our first four episodes of the green insider here in 2021 and again we told you before the year started we were going to have start things off with a bang and i think we've done just that we've got some great guests lined up in the month of february and march as well so this thing continues to roll along and of course we ask that you uh check us out on apple itunes google play spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and of course as always if you check us out on Apple, make sure you leave us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise that you'll learn more about renewable energy after than before you stopped by. Uh, also, too, check out eRenew.net. That's eRenew.net. Uh, if you've got any questions about what we do here at eRenewable, would like to learn more about us, and or uh, potentially you'd like to be a guest or know somebody that would like to be a guest here on the Green Insider Podcast, give us a shout. Go give us an email, mike at eRenew.net. That's mike at eRenew.net. Mike, thank you so much. Great stuff from you as always, as well as everybody out there listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been the Green Insider Podcast for Mike Niemer. I am Fred Davis. This is the Green Insider powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Good night. God bless. Hey.